all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Hello. <laughs> I'm Rachel. I'm David. This is all bad things. Okay. Oh, I see what we're doing. The uh, silence for our one-star reviewer. Because <laughs> somebody talks too much. <laughs> well, that person's probably not listening, so all you're doing is... David, who talks too much? I think you do. No, what did our, our beloved one-star reviewer say? I think he said the girl talks too much. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I'm not... a silent podcast is like, you <laughs> Fucking asshole. That fucking person. I swear to Christ. Canon Laurie on uh, iTunes review. Go fuck yourself. If you're listening for a podcast where someone doesn't talk. Because I don't know what the fuck you're looking for. You maybe there dipshit. Was, maybe they're a silent movie fan. They just got confused. They want a silent podcast? That's, that, sounds, that sounds about right. Jesus fucking Christ. The density of some people. I swear. Well, I don't know. It's a world where Trump exists, so of course there's someone who says the girl talks too much. I mean, fuck you, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Ha! Follow us at All Bad Things Pod, Insta, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, email us allbadthingspod at gmail dot com. Rate, review, subscribe. If you think the girl talks too much, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> That's a lovely intro. So, Thank you. So what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking same as last night when we recorded, which was last week's episode. Uh, Noda Gorgeous. 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 Mm-hmm. It is a very good beer. It is. Excellent it, For anybody beer. who likes pumpkin beers. Which, mm-hmm. I mean, I think at this point everybody makes one. Yeah. There are a couple that are really good, though. Mm-hmm. And that's one of them. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, you mentioned harvest time before. We need to get another one. Yeah, of those. we do. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. Um, um, uh, Raleigh Brewing. No, no that's, big boss. Uh, big that's boss. Big Boss. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I am having the prickly pear and lime <laughs> Michelob Ultra. <laughs> this is delicious. Stay classy. <laughs> I always do. <laughs> well, at least it's, it's kind of an upgrade from your national local, I guess one could no, say. No, it's like a, it's like a, it's like adjacent. It's national local beer adjacent. National, local, adjacent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's regional. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like when we record two nights in a row, there's not as much to say the second time around. <laughs> Lucky for the audience. <laughs> <laughs> and for uh, Ken and Lori, who apparently just doesn't enjoy they're when not, people talk. They're not even <laughs> listening. Like... It, mm. uh, like I, I, I'm well aware. Yeah. I just enjoy uh, openly <laughs> mocking how really, truly unintelligent some people are in the world. Yeah, but... You know? Yeah. I mean, you say something like that, you are opening yourself up That is true. Criticism yourself. Yeah. So. That unfortunately they'll probably never hear, but oh well. Oh, I don't care if they hear it. (laughs) I'm saying this for my benefit. (laughs) I'm well aware. (laughs) Um, It is gorgeous weather here in Raleigh now. Okay, now I'm just turning into like a morning radio show host. But this is a little bit of a short one. It's a little bit of a light one. It's okay. So, yeah. Um, Like I said last week, kind of returning to sort of traditional... Um, quote, you know, quote traditional disasters uh, for a couple of weeks before we get political again, um, <laughs> as it were. I mean, it all comes back to political shit. But at any rate, oh, we just watched. I don't even think we brought this up. We watched Class Action Park. We did. Um, On I, HBO. What did you think of it? I thought it was good. I mean, I'd, I'd seen some uh, mini documentaries. Mm-hmm. That actually had some of the same people in it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's a, it's a, and I I checked. I was just like, because I wasn't sure exactly when we did that, so I scrolled through our. Uh, back, huh? It was probably like in February. I think it was episode one thirty six or something like that. Oh wow, that's. But more that might be our most listened to really? episode because when I looked at when I looked at it when I just went outside mm-hmm. it was, 
had like 5200 something listening listens i think the, oddly the cavalese cable cars has more than that does I it think. Oh, okay uh-huh. for some reason that's like our most listen to back episode i don't know it's like our second episode too maybe someone kept having download issues and downloaded yeah, it and I played guess. it like a thousand I times guess, i maybe. don't know but usually when when uh uh well not just hbo but usually when any uh broadcast company comes out with a topic that we've covered mm-hmm. it seems to give us an uptick in oh that makes sense because mm-hmm. people I are think just people googling. are looking for yeah. it yeah googling and interested in because when um uh, what uh when chernobyl came mm-hmm. out the miniseries like we all of a sudden got a huge boost in that's true in uh in listens mm-hmm. it's funny so yeah well i, I think it's just because people are like well i I'll watch this, but I want to listen to some other stuff about it too, and they'll just look for a podcast. Just other on it. sources, yeah. And uh, and also because I Google it, uh, we did not come up on the Action Park first page Google. Oh no! But I uh, think the so. Dollop did an episode about it. Oh yeah. Which I didn't know. I knew that they did, um, but not until after we did. Oh okay. They uh, they've brought it up on the the Dollop uh, Facebook group that I'm on. Oh okay. Yeah, because when Class Action Park came out. Hmm. Uh, they mentioned it, so so yeah, man, what a disaster! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, that we have covered. And if yeah. if we're picking up anybody new and they're uh, wanting to listen to that episode, it's one thirty something, hmm. one thirty six maybe. Or I think if you ever want to find like a specific episode of our podcast, if you just Google or DuckDuckGo or whatever all bad things and then the topic it should come should up come higher up. because yeah. it's or all bad things podcast and then that we do not do i i don't i'm pretty sure everybody's caught on by now that we don't do <laughs> search engine optimization no. or any sort of boost signal boosting or anything well, when we when the chernobyl episodes were out for hbo i looked up chernobyl podcast and we were on the first page really yes we were we How were like the, we were like the fourth of the fifth that's hilarious uh, search. yeah that's hilarious. Well, I think that's also why we got a huge boost yeah, in listeners because so. we were coming yeah. up. Uh, so people are just Googling mm-hmm. Chernobyl podcasts, yeah. And then they listen to ours and they're like, what the fuck yeah, is this? They're like, yeah, this sucks. <laughs> All four episodes. I wonder if we have like the most listens to the first episode and then it drops off. That's usually like... how it goes. Whenever we do a multi-parter, mm-hmm. the first episode always has the most listens. So funny. Yeah. Because people just get bored of it. I guess. Um... So last week, we, no, no, wait, I think we determined, I should have looked it up, that it was not our first trip to the Netherlands, technically, because of Rungholt. Okay. Um, but this week, I do know that this is a brand new country for our podcast that we're entering. Uh, I don't think well. I gave you any hints. There's not really any good hints. Um, uh, but anyway, so... This is the story of the Katowice Trade Hall roof collapse. Okay. So. Katowice. Katowice. Is it Italy? Uh, no, it is spelled K-A-T-O-W-I-C-E. Okay. Katowice. So, on January 28th, 2006, okay. the roof of a building at the Katowice International Fair in Katowice, Poland, mm. collapsed, killing 65 people wow. and injuring an additional 170. Jesus. So it's Poland. Okay. Uh, lots of sources on this one. Uh, ar- it could be archineering or archineering. I think it's archineering because it's like architecture plus engineering. The Associated Press, the Calvert Journal... The Center for European Studies at the Jean Monnet Center from UNC Chapel Hill. Devastating Disasters, Encyclopedia Britannica, Harvard Business Review, Nations Encyclopedia, Weather Underground Wikipedia, Working with Crowds, and World Socialist Website. Okay. Um, So you can feel free to rant about communism and how we sport it. (laughs) Again. Um, Also, special, special shout out. So, like... This this research took a while. Um, it's a little tricky to find a ton of information in English on it. Sure. Um, so I actually started the research for this maybe like, I mean, by the time this comes out, like two months prior. And I put out a post on our Facebook. Well, no, I think it was just on our main page saying like, hey, do we have any listeners from Poland? Because I have some questions. Um 
And Nina reached out to us. And she was like, "Um, I don't live in Poland now, but I grew up there. So so I asked her about it specifically. And she was super helpful and translated the Polish Wikipedia page of it for me. So that was really, really helpful. Um, Because Wikipedia obviously is in multiple languages, as the front page shows. So something that's like maybe not as covered in an English language page would be there's a a lot more of and more information on uh, Polish Wikipedia. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, I this is because this is our first Polish disaster, Uh, similar to last week when I was trying all the Dutch <laughs> pronunciations, but I had a pronunciation guide there, right. right? Well, so I had to, I looked up all this pronunciation myself. Uh, Nina actually did offer to help with pronunciation, but I was like, one, there would be a ton of words that I'm asking her for. Mm-hmm. And two, I thought that she might get a kick out of hearing me do sure. my best, you know, without her help so that she can she it's can more laugh. fun that like, way. Yeah, I might as well give her the entertainment factor. So, so we're going to start with our trusty geography slash history corner. So Katowice is in southwest Poland, which is in Central Europe. Now, uh, for those of us who may not know, and I wrote in here, uh, hello, fellow Americans. <laughs> hmm. uh, Poland borders Czechia. Chechnya. I, I, I know you don't like when I look things up, but I think it actually is Czechia. Oh, okay. It's a, it's a nickname for the Czech Republic. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I think Chechnya might be a city. Actually, I think you're right. It is a city. But apparently Chechia okay. is just shorthand for the Czech Republic. Okay. Which I guess is the former Czechoslovakia. It I, don't is. Know, I did not dig yeah, into that. It is. But, um, and then, so Chechia and Slovakia to the south is where Poland borders. And Katowice isn't all that far from Krakow, uh, which maybe is a place some of us outside mm-hmm. of Europe have heard of Krakow, yeah. Poland. So it's not the capital, but uh... no. So another another city that probably a lot of us have heard of is Warsaw. I think which is the capital. I did not look up the capital, so I'm not going yeah. to say with any certainty. <laughs> heard of both of those places, but Warsaw actually isn't particularly close to Katowice, relatively speaking. That's more like the central slash eastern part of Poland. So, um. <laughs> I am not going to belabor the history of Poland here. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I will give some very... It's going back quite a ways. Yeah, but I will give some relatively brief background that is pertinent in Kat- to Katowice in particular. Um, and so we're going to start at World War II. It's a good place to start. <laughs> yes. Are you looking up what the capital of Poland is? Yeah, I'm is? just curious. I, I don't think it is Warsaw now that I think of it. But that would be, I mean, I would put money on that. Oh, but it that is also, Warsaw. Is yeah, it? Okay. okay. It, that also sounds like one of those trivia questions that's meant to, like, throw you off. Like, yeah. oh, no, it's not Warsaw. It's this other place or something like that. It's Montpelier. <laughs> Vermont. That is the actual capital <laughs> of Vermont. It no? is. But can you name another city in Vermont? Stowe? Burlington. I grew up close to Vermont. Or Stowe so. in New Hampshire. No, Stowe's in Vermont. Stowe in Vermont. Okay. Um... So, World War II. Uh, so, now, so and just a random sort of, I didn't know where else to put this, but a kind of adjacent to geography corner. So, this is known as the Katowice Trade Hall roof collapse. It's known as happening in Katowice, but initially the location of the trade hall was identified as being a neighboring town called Kozuf. Uh... Uh, but it's tricky because the official address of the grounds was Katowice. So I think it's like it was like on a border sure. sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, but the hall itself was technically located at the time in Kosovo. So, and I I did my own uh, pronunciation looking up there, and I was pretty proud of myself because it's it's spelled C H O R Z O W, but it's pronounced Kosovo. Yeah, I, <laughs> I know. Yeah. So, so Polish ended up being a tricky language. Like, it, there's there's L's with da- like slashes through it, and mm-hmm. also it's it's all very interesting. So, so Poland was infamously invaded. Yes, it was by Nazi Germany in the fall of 1939. 
in a key event in the history of World War II, essentially what set it off. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, something would have been the last straw, right? But that was essentially, I believe after that was when war was officially declared. Uh, Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think that's when other countries started to declare started to declare the war, war on, on Germany. Germany. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Germany declared war on Poland at that point, and well, uh, Germany was kind of declaring war on the world. <laughs> not literally. not yet at that time. Not in 1939. That was probably their end game. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah. So one of the most notorious concentration camps in Europe. Mm. Uh, my God, is this? Uh, why can't I think of the name of it? It's just, one just of those you could think of it until until you try to think of it, right? Auschwitz. Oh yes, yeah. Yep. Yeah, Auschwitz uh, was where an estimated oh, eighty three thousand people were murdered. Mm-hmm. That's just mind boggling. I mean, not when you look at the total death toll and even just those people who were killed by the Nazis. But so it, that was actually located just outside of Katowice, mm. uh, in the town of Auschwitz. So after the war was over, as is the case with many countries and what happened during the Yalta Conference, uh, Winston Churchill specifically championed for Poland to become a democratic state with free elections while Joseph Stalin wanted the country to be under communist control. This came up in our uh, North Korea episode as well. Just yet another way that like post-World War II Things the 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 world was split into the Soviet versus the uh, the capitalist free versus capitalist. the communists. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah, that worked out really well for everybody. Oh my god! <laughs> so the deal was struck for the country to be reorganized as the communist provisional government of the Republic of Poland, but Stalin promised that he would allow free elections in the new country. Kel surprise that <laughs> did not happen. So Poland ended up under the communist rule under communist rule until the fall of the Soviet Union, after which they finally got the free elections promised. And sadly, they're kind of right, almost right back to that again. Well, it's uh, I did not but go more, more of on the fascist bent than the, than the uh, communist. So I didn't end up going too far. So this was in 06, this mm-hmm. disaster. I didn't go past that for in terms of Polish government. Yeah, currently Poland is uh, not in great shape. Struggling. Yeah, to, to say the least. Mm. So post-Soviet Poland cultural culture and economics are pretty interesting. So at the very beginning of 1990, like literally on January 1st, 1990, oh, wow. okay. the Polish finance minister... Leszek Bolczarowicz rolled out a new radical economic plan, which was thereafter known as the Bolczarowicz plan. Uh, and I keep having to look at the pronunciation because this is not this is not phonetic in any hmm. way, shape, or form, like to English. So prior to the plan, inflation had reached upwards of fifty percent a month. What? Yes. Like, how is that even possible? Well, that's, you've heard of, like, um, like places in South America or whatever, sure. the, the people, like, lining bird cages with cash because mm-hmm. it was basically useless yeah, after massive inflation. That's kind of the idea. Also, what happened in post-World War One Germany. Mm. Their money was essentially useless. Mm-hmm. So, kind of the same thing here. Shortages were an issue. Foreign trade was highly restricted, among other consequences of op- operating under a... And this is an important distinction, dictatorial communist regime, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Communist gets a, communism gets a very bad rap because of how it's been rolled out and carried out in the past, right? Well, right, because it's, for the most part, even though the USSR was not per se dictatorial, um, it was autocratic. It was corrupt, yeah. yeah. And that's that was a main, main problem. Because they it. did have elections in the USSR. The problem was you could only vote for the <laughs> for the like those, for the premier. I believe I believe what the title was. It's like those uh, races uh, on the ballot where you see literally there's only one person you can vote for, and you're mm-hmm. kind of like, well, should I even bother? Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we have some of those on our ballot coming up. 
which is interesting. There you go with your with your communist propaganda. I yeah. know. It's ridiculous. So <laughs> the plan, I, I guess I shouldn't talk so much. The plan was rolled <laughs> out so quickly, it became known colloquially as shock therapy. <laughs> Looked at in retrospect with mixed feelings, what it certainly did was rapidly transition Poland to a market economy. So when there, where there used to be multitudes of uh, bar McLechny or milk bars, which were kind of like a government subsidized cafeteria, mm-hmm. which I actually read are making a comeback a little bit. Not, not that they're government subsidized, but using the facilities sure. that they used to be in. Anyway, um, they were sudden, there were suddenly McDonald's and international takeout places. So like a lot of countries, including as much previously discussed here, the United States, along with the rapid growth, there's also been lagging infrastructure. Sure. So during the decade of the 1990s, the number of vehicles on the road in Poland increased 47%. Holy shit. That's a massive growth. And I, I mean, even if you have decent infrastructure, you can't that's handle a lot that kind to, of growth, Yeah, right? that's a lot to handle within a decade. Yeah. Along with the increasing market forces came an attempt to catch up to the Western world. So, like, basically a drive towards modernization. In 2003, Poland voted on a referendum to join the European Union, which passed, and the country officially became part of the EU the next year, Mm -hmm. in 2004. Now, it was during this era of modernization that the Katowice Trade Hall was built in 2000. It was built on the grounds of what had originally been called the Technical Progress Center, or the OPT, for the Polish Osrodka Postępu Technicznego. Judges? Yes, (laughs) they will accept that. So that opened in 1963, so during the Soviet era. And while operating, the center was host to activities that were, to no one's shock, state-sponsored and oriented. Uh, this included things like exhibits from the Soviet space program, which it would have been at that point in time like extremely ramped up because we're talking during the space race in oh, 1963. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's was that the year Kennedy did the moonshot speech, or was that a little earlier? I think in that his was presidency? 61. Okay, I'm pretty sure 61. Okay, so while oper- uh no, I already said that. Uh, In 1992, the grounds were converted to host the newly founded Katowice International Fair, or the MTK, which stands for Mienzia Adove Targika Unvikia. Yes, I believe they'll accept that. Okay, that was way too drawn out, but uh, MTK, the Katowice International Fair. So unlike the previous exhibits, the grounds were used for more commercial-oriented trade shows. So in other words, we've transitioned from, okay, now this is state-sponsored to now this is free market economy, with private companies staging displays, and, uh, and gradually over time it expanded in size and scope. The grounds grew to be pretty expansive and were made up of multiple exhibit halls, conference centers, and even its own hotel. So the Katowice Trade Hall on site of the MTK grounds was the newest exhibit hall built there at the time of this disaster. Like I said, it was built in 2000. It was one of six similar buildings on the site. Now that that's just of this kind of type. There were at least or over a dozen from what I can tell overall on, on the grounds. But okay. this was just one of like uh, six that were similar. And when not being used for trade shows, the grounds were used for... Uh, commerce like uh i kind of it kind of reminded me a little bit of like our state fairgrounds here in raleigh like the state fair happens annually right Mm -hmm. not this year of course um but then when the state fair is not going on or in this case the fairgrounds exactly and there there might be a farmer's market a flea market that sort of that's kind of the impression i got there so that this trade hall in question was 318 by 324 feet, or 97 by that 102 sounds, meters. That sounds pretty small. 300 by 300 feet? Or that's, actually, that's, it's, a, it's that's the size of a football field. It's about the same size. Yeah, that's still... I guess. That's pretty, yeah. That's significant. I guess. Um. So, yeah, it wasn't a tiny building, and it had high ceilings, 36 feet high. That's really 11 high. 11 meters, yeah. Holy mm-hmm. shit. 
The building was constructed from lightweight steel with a tin external covering. I bet they were trying to give sort of the, like with an exhibit hall, if mm-hmm. you need a high ceiling because what if there's an exhibit exactly. that's like like a museum exhibit sort yeah. of thing, right? So. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So now I'm, I could not figure out a smooth transition to this, so I just sort of put it in. So we did like we the the history, the geography, the history of the hall. So I'm going to take a little bit of a left turn and talk about the weather. Okay. <laughs> Polish weather, to be precise. So I generally would not mention the weather of a place, per se, but it's very pertinent in this situation. So in Katowice, it's, it's pretty similar to a lot of, like, I would say, like, from what I could tell, far north U.S. states or southern-ish Canada. Um, so, uh, they have moderately warm summers, generally highs only like in the mid seventies and winters Eh. that hover around freezing. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like where I grew up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now. So an interesting contrast was that when I started researching this, which is like in mid August of this year, Poland was under a heat wave advisory. At really? the time, for highs nearing the mid 80s. Okay. Which is kind of quaint for us to think of here in yes, the southeastern US, right? That would, be, that would be a mild summer yeah, for us. Yeah, pretty much. But obviously, if you're not prepared for any type of weather, it doesn't matter what it is, any temperature, then it, it's going to be an issue. So. so 2006 was actually a pretty extreme weather year for most of Europe. So that summer, which was after all of this, most of the continent would experience a massive heat wave. Uh, but that heat wave was preceded earlier in the year by a massive cold wave. Okay. So this is just a year of very extreme weather in Europe. So in that cold wave, temperatures were hitting lower than negative 50 Celsius. Holy which shit. Which is negative 58 Fahrenheit. I was going to say that's I was going to say that's pretty close to where, where Fahrenheit and yeah. Celsius meet up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the cold continued to spread down through Europe um, and in itself was its own bad thing. It resulted in the deaths of nearly a thousand people. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. And thousands of injuries from like frostbite mm-hmm. and horrible things, as well as massive economic damage because that shit kills crops too, yes, right? It does. I mean, I, I have been through in Messina mm. temperatures that got that cold. Uh-huh. And it's just basically, it, it's a winter what do they call it winter weather advisory mm-hmm. and it's basically just like it's just, too cold just it's inside. just like don't go outside yeah yeah i remember when we lived um a little north of the twin cities in minnesota in 96 i remember they called off school somewhere mm-hmm. thing. Yep. that's it was the only cold. time they did is the, when it was too cold yeah, it had nothing was, to do with snow <laughs> i remember specifically the wind chill factor mm-hmm. that day was negative 60 fahrenheit wow yeah, I think we've had some wind chills. Like, I'm positive we've had some wind chills in, like, the negative 50s. Mm. I don't know about the negative 60, but, yeah. Yeah, it's just, yeah, and, and... And the same thing, I mean, the same thing would happen where I grew up. Like, a couple people would die. Yeah, because yeah, it's just... It's, it's usually elderly people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so that whole cold wave was its own bad thing, let alone, and this was happening in it. So in Katowice, temperatures hovered on the low end of average until around January 22nd when temperatures plummeted to like zero Fahrenheit and well below on a few occasions in the following days. Also, some winds had whipped up during the month too, which caused, ready for some foreshadowing, some standing snow drifts Mm. to shift. So Mm -hmm. that, again, will become pertinent. So, at the time of this disaster, the trade hall in question on the NTK grounds was being used, as was often the case for a trade show. It's a trade hall, so. In this case, it was a very particular trade show known as Pigeon 2006. Did you say Pigeon? The 56th National Exhibition of Carrier Pigeons. Okay. So. Well, it makes sense. I mean... Those were a uh, Poland again. That region goes back pretty far. Yeah. To a to a time when people were using carrier pigeons. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I tried to find information on this organization. Um, I struggled to find any because I was searching for the English 
term of it, um, but I'm guessing it's better known under its Polish name. Are carrier pigeons extinct? No, let's, let's learn more. Oh, okay. <laughs> the information I did find on this particular organization that that holds these this exhibition annually was dated several years after the disaster, so I'm not sure if it was accurate back in 2006 or not. The uh, So what I did find out was that the show is put on by, and again, this is the English name, the Polish Association of Carrier Pigeons. Of course. And apparently they have like a jury and they give prizes to the finest pigeons and like the whole thing. The one that can deliver a letter the farthest. <laughs> well, they or they breed these pigeons. Sure. So I imagine it's like a, a dog show or a cat show. Yeah. It would be really funny if Best in Show had been done with, surrounding with pigeons. carrier pigeons. <laughs> and you just occasionally see somebody walking by with like white <laughs> shit on their head. <laughs> Literally white shit. Well... So there were over a thousand smart little air rats on display in cages within the hall on January 28th, 2006. Now, I kid because at least in the United States, like not much respect is given. Yeah, we don't really. Yeah. <laughs> like, especially. They're, they're more of, they're more of, like you said, like a rodents, flying rodent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they're known for wreaking havoc, yeah. basically, like causing a mess. There are even places. Buildings where they're known to congregate, people mm-hmm. will put up those little cross, not not barbed wire, but those little, they used to be in Miami all the time, two wires mm-hmm. that intersect, but over like a whole, I'm not, it looks like a whole bunch of little X's made out of wire so that they can't. Congregate. They can't, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly they can't congregate. Um, so just to do a little justice to the birds, I did a little paragraph on carrier pigeons. There you go. Okay. So carrier pigeons are a breed of pigeon that have been selectively bred over like centuries uh, based on like finding smart little pigeons and then like breeding down the line, right? Because they already had an innate sense of being able to return from miles and miles away back to their home. Uh, They were used across millennia to carry messages between people from literally back to the days of Genghis Khan. Sure. They were even employed during World War I to carry messages across Europe. And while they don't know for sure... That's right. They mentioned that in that uh, HBO uh, World War I documentary that uh, Peter Jackson did. That, That comes up. Well, which one was that? I know you've mentioned it. I don't uh, remember what it was called. I can't remember what it's called. It's the only World War One okay. documentary you've done by Peter Jackson. You've mentioned it, though. I yeah. know, yeah. Something, uh, anyway, when but, we were but brothers they, or something. But they do mention that, that that's, that's how they had to revert back to mini Because you, yeah. you couldn't just go across no man's land to deliver a message. Right. You know. Right. Yep. So, uh, we they don't know for sure why these birds are able to navigate to precise locations so well. There are some theories. It's kind of interesting. Uh, it's theorized mostly that they may, uh, well, there are multiple theories. So they, they may use the magnetic field of the earth. I was just going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm positive it has something to do with the magnetic pull. Well, that's one theory. Poles. That's one theory. Um, other Another theory is that there's possibly some form of ultra low frequency sound that they follow. So who knows? There's smart ass little motherfucker. So basically I wanted to look into this because it may, it it makes it make more sense to me why people would want to go see pigeons. Sure. (laughs) Uh, Pigeons are a problem in Miami. So, and like, and like in New York, I know they're infamous. Like, so I just was like, who wants to go see a bunch of pigeons? So, but this is interesting, you know? So they did, and from what I can tell, that this exhibit is still going strong. I mean, I don't know if they did it this year or not. Interestingly, in 2017, the exhibit was canceled due to an unfortunate outbreak of avian flu oh, yeah. in Poland. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and that's our last moment of levity. Because here's where we start to get into the disaster. So apparently a lot of people really did want to see these well-bred pigeons. Because in the late afternoon of Saturday, January 28th, 2006, an estimated, the the estimates vary, but somewhere between 500 and 700 people were in this trade hall Mm -hmm. to see these carrier pigeons uh, visiting the Pigeon 2006 exhibit. 
It was a very cold day with temperatures plunging as low as 5 degrees Fahrenheit, mm. which is negative 15 Celsius. Unbeknownst to those inside the hall at the time, there was an, also an estimated like 2 to 3 feet, so approximately 70 centimeters of ice and snow mm. that had settled on the roof mm-hmm. of the building. And the pigeon exhibit... That is why you shovel your roof. Ugh. The pigeon exhibit was supposed to be open until 7. And uh, as the afternoon passed into the early evening, at 5.15 p.m. local time, about a third of the roof collapsed mm. onto the unsuspecting crowd. The portion that fell was near the center of the building, and the impact of the collapse caused a massive shockwave. Sure, because shit's falling from 36 feet. Yes, yes. That um, Steel re- is falling from 36 yes. feet. Yes. And that reportedly catapulted some visitors several meters into the air. Sure. And I'm sure that, and of course, there's no way of knowing, but I'm sure that that caused at least injury. Maybe some of the deaths were caused by that as well. Survivors of the collapse described the collapse as being incredibly loud. A couple people called it, quote, as if a plane flew nearby, end quote. And someone else said, quote, as if a bomb exploded, Mm. quote, so... And I'm guessing, like, for a hot second, nobody knew what the fuck was going on. And maybe they did. This is post 9 11. Maybe they I was going to say in 06, they probably did think that. Yeah. Yeah. So several hundred tons of steel, tin, pipes, joists, grates, and snow and ice buried the unfortunate visitors within the building in an area estimated to be around 100,000 square meters or about 108,000 square feet. That does not sound right. That is not right. We'll go with the square meters. Sure. (laughs) That was Rachel math there. That didn't work. Ignore me. (laughs) So uh, now in an ironic little footnote, the pigeons were apparently mostly okay because they were in cages. Okay. So they kind of of got protected. I saw a little blurb about that. So yeah. Rescuers arrived on the scene, scene quickly and immediately worked to rescue those caught beneath the rubble. Some of him could be heard calling out for help. Mm-hmm. Which, ugh. The, uh, people getting buried? Like, yeah, it's just it's like pretty... the, ugh. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, so at the time, the concern was not only that people were trapped in the debris and needed to be rescued, but that if they weren't able to, pr- to find potential survivors pretty quickly, their chances of surviving plummeted yeah. exactly as they would die, not just from injuries, yeah. but from freezing conditions. You're right, hypothermia. An estimated 1,000 firefighters, 230 police officers, and multiple rescue dogs, as well as military personnel, worked over several days to search through the rubble of the trade hall. Now, that's over a number of days. Sure, but still, that's right, but that's still still quite a response. It was a, a big response. Over the first 24 hours, they actually primarily searched by hand. Because they didn't want to, if there were people still buried who were alive, they didn't want it to cause wanna, more of a collapse. And you don't want to disturb all the rubble and have it shift onto something else or somebody else, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's uh, trying to rescue people from a collapse in itself, the rescue part is dangerous, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, so, after the first. 24 hours they started bringing in um, heavy equipment to lift away the debris because it's like, look, if this was overnight, like if yeah, somebody was there, they died of hypothermia. So Likely. Yeah. Um, so in the end, 65 people died in the collapse of the trade roof, trade hall roof. Now, while hypothermia had been a major concern for rescuers, it was determined through autopsies that those who died didn't die of hypothermia they Mm. died um from traumatic injuries to the head neck and or spine so they were crushed to Mm. death and at least another 170 people were injured sure one day you're going to see pigeons and next second you know i mean geez so after rescue the rescue work was completed the site was demolished with sophisticated heavy machinery along with assistance from rescue workers, like, just in case bodies were found, right? Like, yeah, they wanted absolutely. to be able to preserve the bodies and, and take take them off site. <clears throat> the initial known death toll had been 63. 
Two additional victims were found on February 14th by a search and rescue group. Oh, so more than two weeks later. Yeah. Wow. Um, By a search and rescue group and their dog, Bona. So, like, the dog helped find Mm. them. So, And that led to the final death toll of 65. Uh, Demolition work was completed on February 19th with the final survivors being two pigeons who, uh, the best of their breed, they survived 22 days. Buried under the rubble. Wow. Two little pigeons. <laughs> Pretty bonkers there. Yes. And even, like, imagine if the concern was that humans would die from hypothermia. Like, how fucking warm-blooded are those pigeons that they were able to... <laughs> well, uh, centuries of breeding. I guess. They yeah. were just bred hardy. Mm-hmm. So you think they had, a, like, little help notes tied to them? <laughs> <laughs> They wrote a little help. No, that's just not even a funny joke anyway. You don't have to laugh at that. Nobody has to laugh at that. There's no business laughing. (laughs) There'll be no laughing. (laughs) There will be no laughing. I talk too much anyway. So the then president of Poland, Lech Kaczynski, declared three days of national mourning in the wake of the collapse. So I have to do a little side note here. This disaster led to another disaster being put on our list because Kaczynski died in a plane crash after this, at some point after this. I forget what year. Um, And I added that to the the list. And in fact, when I put out the call on Facebook, like, hey, is anyone from Poland? I could use some help. Nina was like, sure, what do you need? And I told her what I was researching. And she says, oh, I'm kind of surprised. I thought you would be looking into the... Um, plane crash <laughs> this oh, plane crash okay uh, she she said that this disaster is kind of not little known but not really a big remembered moment in poland which is interesting well because of soon after their president died in a that plane could crash be a, it was maybe overshadowed it, i forget yeah. if it was like 2010 or something i forget well, that's the a year. couple years later so yeah i don't think it was right away okay but uh, so anyway, I, I'm I, I put that on our list so that we've got that. Um, that disaster is also very interesting because apparently there's a whole shit ton of conspiracy theories. Well, of course, because he died in that plane crash and he was the pre- the president. Right. So the, there's obviously going to be people who think that well, any the plane went down deliberately. Any time the head of a nation dies, mm-hmm. w- w- no matter what the circumstances yes. are, there's there's always going to be suspected. Of course. I mean, and I think it has to be looked at with suspicion sure. just to be on the safe side, for sure. Yeah, because if you're the president of any country, you've made some enemies. For yes. Sure. Uh, well, nobody, no leader can have, like, complete adoration even within their own country. So, yeah, you're going to be marked one way or the other, right? So an investigation was begun, and it only took a few weeks for arrests to be made. Oh. So on the in the early morning of... February 21st, 2006, which is less than a month Mm -hmm. after the disaster. It's three weeks later. Yep. Two days after the demolition of the site had been completed, police arrested three individuals on charges of criminal negligence and delivered them to the Katowice District Prosecutor's Office. So these three people were Bruce Robinson. I I know. (laughs) Oh, it it gets pretty interesting. Richard Zioek. Zioek. And Adam Hildebrandt. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, here's something interesting. Uh, I noticed in the even the English wiki, Wikipedia article of this or um, that they referred to these guys as Bruce R., Richard Z., and Adam H. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Are we in kindergarten? Like, what? <laughs> why are we referring to people by their last initials? So, according to Nina... In the Polish press, they, and this is what she calls a press law, not an actual law. Sure. They censor photos of defendants in criminal trials and only refer to them by their first name and last initial. That's not the worst idea. Because, I agree. I agree. Because um, I was watching something about that, um, about how that's handled here in America. Mm. I was watching like a little small document, and mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you because if the people wind up being innocent, that either doesn't make the paper, or if it does, mm-hmm. you know, it's buried somewhere. Yeah. You know, so it's 
obviously we our justice system is you're innocent until proven guilty but that's not necessarily how the press treats it mm-hmm. you know trial by press trial by media Pr- well i mean pretty much i mean well, i remember in you're wrong about they talked about the perp walk yes and yeah, how that's, that's a, very that's, america and mm-hmm. very recent america yeah. thing it's uh, that's it's specific it's specifically for entertainment that's basically all, yeah, yeah. That's all it it's is. certainly not helping serve justice no. i'll tell you that and it came up recently in our discussion group how like libel laws are different here too mm-hmm. they're a lot stricter in other countries yeah. uh, a lot more severe and there are certain things you can and can't say um whereas here it's a little more freewheeling so so that i just thought that was really interesting and even nina was like i mean you can just google it and you'll find out who sure. these people are but in the polish press they just only do the last initial so Bruce Robinson was a New Zealander. Okay. He was a businessman, but he was the majority shareholder at 51% in the fair and MTK, as well as the company's chairman. Zioink was his deputy chairman, and Hildebrandt was MTK's technical manager. So these are all execs sure. in, in the fair, right? Uh, the international fair. So it was alleged in the charge that all three of them knew that the building was not safe mm. to be occupied, yet they still allowed Pigeon 2006 to take place there. Now, they were initially remanded on bail. They were not allowed bail because the judge ruled that they had destroyed some type of documentation, incriminating documentation, uh, immediately after the collapse, and that if they were allowed to out on bail, they could end up intimidating witnesses. Sure. So they, it, it took them a year, but they did eventually win an appeal and were let out on bail. But and they I, were in jail to, initially for a year. I, I don't know if they have this law over there as well. I would guess something similar. But if the one guy is also a native New Zealander, he's probably also considered like a flight extradition. risk. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if he's a businessman, mm-hmm. I, this is not his only business no. interest. He's like a mogul or whatever. So, yeah. The investigation's initial findings were released two months after the collapse on March 31st, 2006. It was revealed that the roof of the hall had actually bent under the weight of snow sure. in the past in yeah. 2002. This was Happens. a two-year-old building at the time. Oh, and the roof had Oh, so it was... Okay. Remember, I guess it was built in 2000. I guess I didn't... So it was a six-year-old building. No, in 2002 when it buckled. Oh, buckled okay, okay, yeah. yes, mm-hmm. okay. So, so yeah, it was built in 2000. In 2002, the weight of snow had buckled the roof, and they knew about it. So I'm guessing, do you have a, a, like a picture of the building mm. when it was intact? I don't. So oh, I okay. couldn't find one, but I forgot to show you these pictures. These are pictures of the collapse, so you can kind of see the... Well, I can kind of tell from here that, yeah, they had the, the roof was flat. Yes, which it's, not make, a, it's not a peak truth. Yeah, which makes little to no sense in a country that gets a lot of snow. I right, mean, because one of the purposes of roofs being bent is to yes, snow slides exactly. off. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. it doesn't always even do that either. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, so it, these are some more pictures of the wreckage and yeah, like that's, the rescue. Yeah, why would you have? That's just. Piss poor engineering. Well, but the thing is, it's a massive building. A lot uh, of buildings of so. that size have flat roofs. And honestly, if you're just good about maintenance and just make sure, okay, hey, we're expecting heavy snow. We're going to be sweeping this shit off. I mean, it's not a... That wouldn't be such a major issue. I mean, the whole point is that they just were terrible about yeah. it. So. Yeah. But the thing is, but, I mean, they knew it was a point of concern after that 2002 sure. incident where we're like, I mean, if your roof buckles, you got to be thinking like, uh-oh, wait a second. Well, if your roof buckles, I would, especially for um, a place where people mm-hmm. uh, commune. Congregate in mass, yeah. like hundreds of people. I would, I would hope the first, okay, we're shutting down the building indefinitely yes <laughs> until, until this is resolved yeah. yeah is this a structural issue mm-hmm. was it just put under more stress than anticipated and we have to be careful if there's a, a similar right. event like what is going on yep now they had it repaired mm-hmm. they had that buckle repaired but only with basically temporary well sure repair. slapped a band-aid on. yep and it did not it also, so they. It's like where I fucking used to work. Like just every, just, just put a bandaid on everything. Damn. <laughs> so this temporary fix 
they were also supposed to, under Polish law, they were supposed to have the roof inspected. And they didn't. Sure. I After mean, yeah. this incident. So so they broke the law in that case. The snow that had gathered on the roof of the hall on January 28th was found to have added, to have added an overload of over 100% to the structure. Like, it was not only overloaded, it was, like, inevitable yeah. that this would happen. So, essentially, the, the massive amount of snowfall due to this cold wave... The shifting snow drifts, and I didn't find much more information on that, but what I'm guessing is that because of the high winds, it sort of swept the snow into like a mound sure. or a larger mound on one area, and, it, and that's and what led was, to the collapse. And if it's cold enough, like like it was that day, mm-hmm. and over time, it'll freeze, which makes it Yes, even... it was snow and ice, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's something that I think a lot of people... Who maybe, like, this was an assumption I had maybe, like, in Miami, but certainly not um, when I was a kid in Minnesota. I remember, like, when a place that cold, you're not dealing with, like, oh, fluffy white powder. No. I remember in Minnesota, like, the snow would be, like, whatever, 18 inches, two feet deep. Yeah. But you could walk on top of it. Hard as a fucking rock. Yeah. And then if you, like, slammed your foot, you'd go down, and the powder was below, but there was, like, a crust. Mm -hmm. On this snow. So you're right. It was... And then ice adds weight. Yes, it does. So that, like, contributed to the whole thing. So the three arrests ended up being only the beginning of the arrests. Uh, Three architects of the hall were arrested in Mm. June of 2006, two of whom were accused of making errors in the design of the building, and one who was accused of approving those errors. So, like, basically... There's a flawed design, and then the person who's supposed to catch that, yeah. you know, and approve, like signed put a, off on it. Put a it stamp anyway. on it. It's good. Yep. By the time the investigation was complete in the summer of 2008, and I saw conflicting reports of this, one source said 12 people were arrested, mm-hmm. one said 14. So okay. it was one or the other, at any rate. 12 to 14 people were yes, arrested. Yes, there we go. Um, including the architects, uh, uh, the, oh, sorry, including the architects. Robinson and Zioink and a Kozuf building inspector, who I'm guessing, I, I didn't find much information on this, but I'm going to guess like either was supposed to inspect and didn't, but signed off anyway, or didn't, just didn't, wasn't very thorough, whatever. Or all of the above. Mm-hmm. Of all the defendants, one pled guilty. Mm. And that person was a technical coordinator who was charged with not ordering that exit doors be opened after the collapse. Okay. I think it was after the collapse. At any rate, it was determined in the investigation that no one died because of that. It was because of the collapse. So basically the one person who took any form of responsibility was someone who wasn't directly responsible for anything. So... And now, obviously, that would have been a lot more consequential if this had been like a stampede or a collapse... a crowd disaster, a fire, that sort of thing. But that was not the case at all. This was just a flat out people got crushed by a roof collapsing onto them. Well, a roof debris and snow and ice, too. Mm -hmm. There was a lot that was falling on them. In the course of the trials, expert witnesses testified that the ultimate cause of the roof collapse were a combination of a willful decision not to clear the roof. So not just... um, uh, they didn't know or anything. They right. knew, and they knew it had caused problems in the past, and they still didn't address it. Yeah, they that's were even negligent advised as fuck. to clear it. Yeah, there was even an actual flat-out advisory to do it, and they didn't. Um, and while it's tricky to determine exactly the outcome in all of the trials, as well as the trial timeline, like resources sources on this were kind of scant. It was I that all those resources I listed. Um, I found bits and pieces on all of them, sort okay. of a thing. So it was a little tricky, but uh, the only trial that kind of like made headlines that I could see was Bruce Robinson, sure. the main guy, right? The 51% shareholder. He, at some point, he was found guilty of involuntarily causing the collapse, though he denied that he uh, had knowledge of the risk and maintained in a closing statement in court that he would never put profit ahead of safety. <laughs> and how many times, 
How many times has anyone believed a business person who said they would never put profit a, 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 above safety? Or... Well, if you do believe that person, then you're a sucker. Mm-hmm. And you've probably responded to one of those emails that's coming from... the from, Nigerian from, prince or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> that needs $50,000, and you'll get $100,000 if you send them $50,000. I swear, yeah. Yep. Uh, it appears that he appealed multiple times. That makes sense. The sentence initially sought was six years. He was sentenced to three. And then in November 2019, so this is just last year. Yeah, 13 years after all this and pretty recently, an appeal either created his final sentence or reduced it. His final sentence was 18 months. Yeah, I mean. (sighs) Well, I'll finish it. I just have a couple more sentences. As a direct result of the collapse, construction laws in Poland were tightened up, specifically for large buildings where public events are held. Roof inspections must now take place twice a year, before and after the winter, for buildings with a floor area of more than 2,000 square meters, or about 21,500 square meters. So what do you know? A government learned from a disaster. And implemented some some inspection changes, yeah. But but all it's going to do is just job-killing regulation. That's all it is. I mean, if a roof collapses on people and kills 50, how many people was it? 65. 65? Hey, that's cost of doing business. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yep. And that, my friends, was the story of the Katowice Trade Hall roof collapse. Yeah, again, just something... I mean, how many episodes have we done? I mean, probably three quarters of them at least just involve negligence in in some way. It's funny because I was thinking about this, you know... You're right. It's, it's It's a disproportionate number. There are some, like, uh... Natural disasters, especially, that are obviously much less so on that because right. you can't control you, an earthquake no, or whatever. You can the control response, the response, mm-hmm, yeah. and that can and that can be fucked up. But the I was thinking about it, and I'm like, there's this weird thing where if there is like a negligence component to a disaster, it's almost. It's angering. And if yeah. there's not, it's just really sad. Right. In a weird way, the disasters with a negligence component are almost a little easier to handle because you can blame someone. Exactly. Yeah. You right? can't blame a tornado. Exactly. You can't blame a... Can't blame a, nature. You can't blame a random accident. Mm-mm. And even if, like, even if someone, quote unquote, causes a disaster... But it was not deliberate, and it wasn't even like a you know like if uh, like they didn't do something they should have. Or... If you're having a party uh, to reveal the sex of your baby, and oh you wind God. up starting a forest fire, like something like that. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, that's just stupidity. But... Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we've brought that up at, on, the, on not, any we have of them on social media, but not I on think, there. Yeah, um, which is not the first time it's happened. <laughs> no, it's not. If you're listening to this and you're pregnant and you're planning on having a, a gender reveal party or mm-hmm. sex reveal, because I know that, because I, I have since learned that there's you're a right. difference between the two. You are exactly correct. Um, just don't. Just <laughs> stop. Well, or if you're going to do it, just mm-hmm. stick with the pink or the blue balloons. Right. That's you know, um, Tilo, Tom, and Lorenzo. Uh, did they had a podcast where they discussed it when it was in the news, uh, and. They, they discussed it from multiple angles. And obviously, like, the main takeaway was, like, please don't do anything that could potentially cause harm. Yeah. But they also brought up a lot of good points about how weird it is. And how... Well, it's just... it's the, like, to, to me, what it... It's fraught with a lot of issues. To me, it's like, okay, we've commodified children as mm-hmm. much as we possibly can. What mm, else can right. we do? Commercialize. Oh, we'll we'll commodify children that haven't been born yet. Mm-hmm. 
Well, something Tilo said that I thought was really like astute was they're like, is this just a bid for more presents? Like you have a shower, yeah, that's, so yeah, like that's all it is. Are you just looking for more yeah, all attention it is. and more? Now, I, I mean, I'm gonna guess we have plenty of listeners who have had gender reveal parties. Hopefully, because you're all Hopefully smart people. Hopefully, you didn't people, start a forest fire. You didn't start a fire, exactly. Um, you just cut into a little pink cake or whatever. Uh, but also, yeah, do, that's that's. I'm not gonna. I guess. I'm not gonna yeah. specifically fault anyone for yeah. that. I think it's a little ridiculous because gender is a construct, and um, like, you, you don't know if your baby is going to identify as what you're foisting on it. I mean, it's a little. Well, there's like a ninety. 90- five percent chance that it will so well i don't know the statistics uh, but i just think it's i think it's it's like constructing an identity for your child before and i'm not saying that you need to like raise your kid genderless or whatever i'm just saying like maybe that's just a bridge too far (laughs) going with the the gender reveal but i'm uh, I'm really just so proud of us to not want to have children because i know god damn we would have two different we w- you are absolutely right. We would struggle. We would struggle a lot. Because my contingent, uh, it's a boy, so that's how I'm going to treat him. <laughs> I would say it's my child, and my child can decide who they are whenever they're ready and comfortable doing so. And that's fine if you want to do that. I still don't get it. Probably never will, but oh well. It's not for me to get. Yeah. Yeah. That's not something that was... It couldn't even even have been anticipated when I was growing up. Fair enough, and that's okay. <laughs> like it, that's all right. It just you know something does not have to be something that was on your radar your whole life. No, I have modified my views and my uh, language like pretty massively, even just over the past few years, as I've come to learn about what is like. I, I think intention. Oh. Now I'm just going off. The girl is talking too much. The girl so. is talking too much. Yeah, talking way too much. And, and so is the old man talking about gender. No, you're the dude. Or the dude. <laughs> Whatever. The dude. But uh, yeah, don't don't go starting fires, please. Especially uh, given we've got enough. Everything is a dumpster fire, and then there are literal fires. So, you know. But hey, we've only we've got less than three months to get out of 2020, <laughs> and then everything will be fine. <laughs> probably not. It actually probably be worse. But anyway, we did install the fire. <laughs> yeah. So what were we talking about? Oh yeah, a building collapse. Yes. <laughs> but um, uh, but pretty much any um, because we did what was the walkway collapse like mm-hmm. in, a, in a hotel? What like a yes. Hyatt or something like that? Yes, the Hyatt in St. Louis or Kansas City is Missouri. I feel. I think it was Kansas City. Anyway, <laughs> this is episode one seventy two. Just any, so you know, any time and difficult to remember. Very early on, that building collapsed, like in India. Oh, the, or... the Rana Plaza. Yes, that yeah. was a fucking story. Yeah. So anytime you have, anytime we have covered mm-hmm. a building disaster, it what is it all? What's the common denominator every Design single time? Design and negligence, or negligence. some some form yeah. of it. Yeah. Negligence uh-huh. in multiple mm-hmm. areas. Yep. And that's, you know, like, I actually have mad respect for good architects and engineers. Because well, designing ho- a building well, that's not going to collapse I would hope you would want to fucking be that. Like, if you're going right? <laughs> to... Yes. If you're going to, like, well, you know, this one, like, whoever built this fucking place, like, our house, like, <laughs> like uh, we'll just put one stud in this wall. It'll be fine. Yeah, we have a couple of walls <laughs> that are a little uh, suspect. <laughs> yeah. Or, no, we'll put a, a, a little linen closet in the bathroom that when you open the door it hits, it hits, the, toilet. The, hits the toilet yeah <laughs> i had to take that fucking door out eventually i'm so much happier now that i don't have a door that hits the fucking toilet and that's only in our house because remember when we went to the other unit like it didn't yeah. do that i was yeah. like what the fuck yeah oh my god but then yes. again i mean that's that's i mean just historically um well maybe historically for the most part in america but anyway there is a major reason why we have building codes. Uh, yeah. Because so many things can go wrong yeah. with a building. And I'm not talking about overnight. Somebody could fuck something up and that flaw doesn't show up for 5, 10, yeah. 15 years. Yeah. Uh, you could have your electrical too close to your water line. Mm-hmm. Just And plus, 
I don't think building contractors make a ton of money. So they're looking to cut costs wherever the fuck they can, you know, so yeah. It's the towering inferno issue. Yeah. (laughs) Brand new building, but they cut, they cut corners. And, and yeah, and, and then so people who are like, oh, we need less regulation. Um, do you want to see no. what the world would look like if people were left to their own devices yeah. without any regulation? Because it's like Lord of the fucking flies out there with adults. <laughs> and and my, my contention is that because I'll see occasionally like a post on, well, we wanted to do this, but we had to get a, an approval for this and approval for that. And like these these fucking people and their regulations like. The regulations are a reaction to a problem. Right. The regulation Mm -hmm. is, in simplicity, let's chalk it up to, geez, if people weren't so fucking greedy, then most regulation would not be necessary. Mm -hmm. But since human beings overall as a species suck Mm -hmm. and are completely out for themselves and Mm -hmm. greedy, that's why we have to have all this bullshit. Well, and in yes, and that's right. And then also in some cases, it's a matter of learning lessons that weren't necessarily exactly. supposed to be known prior to that. That too. Like um the stampedes and stuff, the mm-hmm. the one in Malta, the boys school mm-hmm. where they like ended up getting or or Cuz the, the doors the, the doors opened inward. Yes, and then the one uh the ki- bunch of kids who died in England for the same thing running down to get a balloon or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh that's how crash bars eventually. Mm-hmm. Now Unfortunately, it took... It took people's deaths to make that happen. Because who would have just thought of that out of the blue? It took a lesson to be learned for it to be like, okay, look, it was nobody's fault that we didn't think of this. But now that we know better, we need to adjust. Mm -hmm. And... And that's important. Like, and let's it, not hang drapery all over a public building just right? in case there's a fire. And it also, <laughs> it, like, to to be fair, it also sort of helps make people's deaths not be in vain. Like, we of need course. to learn. Yeah. Like, when a problem happens, when a disaster happens, when a tragedy happens, what can be learned so that this can be prevented in the future? And some or at cases, least, or at least mitigated. Yes, and in some cases, it can't be. It is just circumstantial, but in the cases where we can learn, we need to because it's just incredibly important. And, uh, uh, geez, this one, I mean, it's just people being assholes. So, so, uh, Bruce R., who <laughs> never puts profit before no. safety. No. Um, sorry if I don't believe you, Brucey, but, uh, well, and the, and the reason that they do is because safety costs money. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean it does. It's not free. And and further, like you're taking a gam. Yes, you're taking a gamble if you if you skimp on safety. But I'm sure in a lot of people's minds, they're like, and eh, the chances are so low of anything. And, and, you know? and they are. They, they are. are. But unfortunately, but, any chance. But if something does happen. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then then this is what you get. Mm-hmm. Sixty five people dead. Yeah. And two poor little carrier pigeons who had to survive for 22 days. They were not the biggest victims, I will cry. They were not. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, these, yeah, the, yeah, let's not do a building again for a while. Because um, I could say so much more, but I, it, it would just be rambling at this point. You know what? I liked that we did this one, though, because uh, I love that Nina was like, you know, this isn't even all that big of a, like, uh, event remembered in Poland. So I like I like everyone. I know we do some heavy hitters and stuff. I like pulling out an obscure one too. Sure. So I'm glad we did this one. Yes. Even though it was a little thin, but that, that and a little vague in a couple of spots because mm. I couldn't find uh, sources that really like expanded. But I thought it was an interesting one. It definitely was. And speaking of how interesting it was, I guess we'll wrap it up. Okay. So that was the Katowice trade hall roof collapse. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. And we'll see you next week. I won't talk.